0: It is good to lift our voices to the Lord, amen? Good worship this morning. So if I've not met you, my name's Dan Canoost. I am the high school pastor here at the church. Um, pastor Dan Morgan's got another Sunday where he'll be off and he'll be back, Lord willing, next Sunday. But I've got a lot of pressure on me this morning. I want to confess something right now, I got a ton of pressure on me because for the very first time that I'm ever aware of on a Sunday morning, somebody else is using Pastor Dan's mic and it's me. So pray for me, okay? I'm gonna, Tanner and I talked about this before the service started. I'm going to try to channel my inner Pastor Dan today. Yeah, poor guy. Could you imagine what that would look like? So anyway, welcome to church. Glad you're here this morning. Uh, this morning I want to start a little bit different before I get into the meat of the message, if you will. I want to share with you a little bit of what we did on our missions trip with the high school students. Um, I often make the comment that I have the best job on the planet. It is the most exhausting job on the planet But it's a good job. So as many of you know, um, we went to Kansas City June 10th through June 18th. 32 of us made the trip down there. We left here on a Saturday morning, drove to Kansas City, spent a week there serving the Lord in that area, and then drove back home the following Sunday. God took such good care of us on this trip. It was an amazing trip. I think I've been doing this now. I think this was our ninth trip, if I remember right. Is that right, Kylie? Our ninth trip, I think. And this would be in probably the top three, to be honest with you. But I want to take a minute before I start getting into that and say, honestly, thank you from the bottom of my heart and on behalf of everyone that went on the missions trip for you guys to support, because you guys support us on these trips and have been doing it for a long time. Many of you know the spaghetti dinner, the auction that we did, silent auction, live auction, spaghetti dinner that we did, that way that raised what, I think 23000 23 or $25,000 on a couple hours in a Sunday, and I'm grateful for that, and I'm so proud so grateful for you guys' obedience to the Lord within that. But I think what strikes me more than anything is I always had this idea in youth ministry that if you could take, and I'll say it this way, and I don't think it's offensive, the older generation and the younger generation, and bring them together and watch that collision happen, the Lord would do amazing work through those two generations. And I honestly believe the Lord does that in our church, because a lot a lot of us that are maybe a little bit older are in situations where we can't go on mission trips you guys' financial support and your prayers make so much difference for us us in the youth ministry because I will tell you, honestly, we need a lot of prayer during those trips for a lot of different reasons, traveling mercies, but a lot of just the, the warfare that goes on within a trip like that when you've got that many people together trying to be cohesive and move as one group and honor God is amazing, and your prayers work, and here's why I can say that confidently. Everywhere we stop And that is not embellishing or an exaggeration at all. Everywhere we stop, whether it's convenience stores, motels, restaurants, theme parks, everybody always asks our leaders or myself in the room, what are you guys doing? Because imagine 30-some kids pile into a convenience store, right, or a restaurant. I mean, I'd be like, oh, my Lord, what happened, right? I'd be like, how am I the one behind all these guys, number one? But every time we go in someplace, they always ask us, what are you doing and where are you from? And our leaders and students get the opportunity to tell them what we're doing. And they always, every single time, tell us how amazed they are at how amazing our students behave and how kind they are and respectful when they're in the stores and doing what they're doing. They're teenagers, trust me, don't get me wrong, but they're good, they're they're. They're good-hearted students, and people see that. Because in the media today, all we see is junk about kids, right? We see a bunch of entitled young people that are running around acting like the world owes them everything. What we have when we go on these trips is we have a group of students that go to simply do this. Get their eyes off themselves, serve others, and honor God. That's what the whole trip is all about every single time. So I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your support because if it wasn't for you guys, we couldn't do what we do, and it's just that simple, and the students know it, and it gives me an opportunity to talk to students about giving and tithing and faithfulness to the Lord in those things, because with you guys doing that, I can let the students know the only reason we have those blessings is because of faithful Christians that are willing to to follow what God lays on your heart. And I'm so grateful for that. So what we did when we were in Kansas City, we had three different projects that we were on. Because with that many students, we have to break up and go in different directions. Next Step Ministries did a great job of setting things up this year. That's who we partner with when we go on our trips. And we had three different locations that we worked on. One was, I think, called Ivanhoe, right, Clint? Clint Haskins was leading that site with Kylie Christensen and a couple other people. Ivanhoe was an incredible Uh, opportunity for the students to serve because what it was is they have 200 different lots in Kansas City. And I might not have the facts exactly right on this, but it used to be one of the top three crime-ridden areas in Kansas City was Ivanhoe's neighborhood. This is a gigantic neighborhood. And what our team did is they went in there and three different lots where there's housing on three different of the three lots out of these 200, there's three lots that have housing on them. And they're getting grief from the city because they're being overran by Foliage, basically. Weeds, trees, vines, you name it. So our students and leaders went in there and they cleaned these neighborhoods up for four days, I guess it was, that they served. Um, so they went in and they cleaned these neighborhoods up. Now, Ivanhoe, because of the work that's being done there consistently throughout the year, is not even in the top ten of crime-ridden neighborhoods anymore in Kansas City. So the work that they're doing is paying off. The people that they served under that lead this organization up were good, God-fearing Christians. The students get to hear from people of different races and different cultures on what it looks like to be a believer in that situation and that circumstance. And it's good for our kids. That's why I've never traveled internationally with high school kids. One of the reasons is because we have enough going on in our own nation, right, that, that people need help. So that's one of the organizations that we... We served under the, the, the challenging part about that one is a bunch of rednecks from Wyoming weren't smart enough to realize what Pi, poison ivy actually does. Because they had poison ivy there and our team's there and they're like, well, there's poison ivy. We show up in Kansas City with shorts and t-shirts. We don't have long pants and long sleeve shirts. Our guys are there and and we're like, well, okay. And I love our teams because they're like, is what it is. Let's dive in. Well, I remember the first night of the second night we're like, well, this is awesome. God's protected us. There's no poison ivy showing up at all. We're good to go. We didn't realize that stuff hibernates for like a week or two. So on the way home, kids are starting to do this number. I know Clint and Catherine went to New York. Clint right about half into his trip, after the missions trip in New York, he starts itching. So we had kids covered in poison ivy. So can we just praise God that I wasn't on that site? (laughs) That was a good thing. Um, And then the other site we had was Roots, for refugees. Kylie Brown, Jeb Toczek, and I think Julie Toczek were the leaders on that side, if I remember right. Forgive me if I've gotten that wrong. But this organization, they take refugees that come to Kansas City from Burma, from all over the world, and they teach them how to farm. They teach them you have like acre plots all over throughout Kansas City. And they have refugees come in there at the end of the day when they're done working, and they till and they farm, and they take care of things so they can eat they can use the food, and they, they sell their goods as well to help them live and to be productive people, not just get handouts, but be productive people. So our students and our leaders came alongside them, and they got to help them do that. They got to cultivate. They got to tend the gardens. They got to help just come alongside refugees at the end of the day. And they, I know John David was one of the guys on the site, and he was trying to communicate with one of the ladies, I think from Burma maybe. And she couldn't hardly speak English, and his name being David, and her being a Christian, they finally got out that his name meant like King David in the Bible, with David and Goliath. So they were able to communicate that way. That was an incredible site, but what I really appreciated about that one was they're teaching people how to live, and not do it with handouts, but actually work, and get dirty, and, and take care of themselves, and not just look for government handouts that way. The third site that we were on was Habitat for Humanity and this is the second year we've done this, we actually, I was on that site, and we actually were at the ReStore store, the Habitat ReStore. And what that is, there's one in Spearfish, and I think there's one in Sheridan here in our area, but those stores bring in donations of people donating goods, tile, paint, all sorts of construction items, whatever that might look like, and it's big warehouses is what they are. So we come alongside, and they are just basically said, they just got done doing their big annual sale, so it's trashed because people are just going through stuff like this, so we spent the week really at three different stores um, helping them rearrange and set things up and make the warehouses look usable again. We, I think that last day we were there, we must have moved over 150 doors. We got the, They got the doors in, all different sizes. They get the doors in. They help check them in. We help uh, measure them, price them. And then we take them out on the floor and we put them away so people coming in can come into a from a construction company and start to purchase these things. They use it for Habitat homes, and they also use it for other people in the community as well to help beat down the cost of construction that way. That, those, those are tougher sites for the reason that the kids can't see the, the good in what they're doing sometimes. they really got to be able to paint the vision for them in this one because they're in the store, they're watching people shop. They're like, I'm working at Menards. What good am I doing? But when these people from Habitat actually explain to them what they're doing and the benefit in it, the kids start to get it. <clears throat> but even in those situations, you might have students that go, you know, I really, I would really rather be outside working like where Clinton, and Kylie were at. But they go, but this is where God's plopped me. So this is where I'm going to serve. And they do it with the right hearts. There's such a message in that because I think it's Oswald, Oswald Chambers says you serve where God's plopped you. Keep that in mind at your own jobs. Because sometimes we get to do what we don't want to do. And I like that about this situation because students learn, you might not do what you want to do every day, amen? But you do it, we know who we're working for. Colossians 3.23 makes it very clear. We work as though we're working unto the Lord. And I love this because we as older people get to instill those, plant those seeds in these kids that whether it's poison ivy or working in a restore store or digging through the dirt, you know who you're working for and you know who you serve. And students never let up, they never grow weary, and they're so... Their desire is so strong to do things for the Lord. It is an amazing trip. And then on top of that, the spiritual work that is done in their hearts, Next Step does such a great job with that. We're awake till, you'll see in the video, we're awake till, they say lights out at 10, about midnight we start wrapping it up. And honestly, a lot of that is those those pocket conversations that we have the opportunity to have with students that talk to them about God, talk to them about their relationships with their mom and dad that might not be going so well, or boyfriends or girlfriends or things at school or just life in general, and teaching them the gospel and letting them see what it looks like. And then every morning, this is my favorite part of the trip. Every morning, these kids get out of bed at six o'clock in the morning. They don't have to get up till seven, but we're downstairs in this church at 6 a.m. every single morning with at least three quarters of our team down there doing a Bible study, and we were going through the book of Galatians this time, and that is some some of the most precious times that we get to spend together. I just, I'm so grateful that I get the opportunity, that God gives me the opportunity to do what I get to do, and with you guys' support, I wish you could go. I really do. You would be so encouraged, and you would grow spiritually in a way that would blow your mind, and we're going to talk a little bit more, more about that as I get into the message this morning. So with all that said, and one last thing, so awesome. A lot of you know Scott and Stacy Ray that used to go to our church. They moved to Florida a few years back. Their daughter, Gracie, has been coming with us on the missions trips every year since. Even though they live in Florida, she, we, we arrange it. She meets with us on our trips, and she spends the week with us, knowing just a few students anymore, but she spends the week with us on the trips. And this year, I had the privilege to baptize Gracie while we were on the trip in one of the lakes down there in Kansas City. So just... I can't even begin to touch If you could crawl in my head and my heart, you would just see the shining light that I see when God does the work that he does on these missions trips. So thank you for your support. I want to play a video for you guys this morning. Pay attention to the video, and then we'll jump into the message from there. That's not much of an exaggeration. I think that was Thursday night, and I'm pretty done by Thursday night. Brian Dahlman is a lunatic, by the way. Just in case, if you know Brian in the video, with the two little cups of ice cream, um, Carson Hansen had sprained his ankle. And Brian got the idea that, hey, we'll get a couple Cold Stone ice creams, put it on there like ice, and then we'll have Eva and Carson, or Cameron, eat the ice cream when they are done. So with the hair, they had to pick the hair out, and it's just disgusting. Welcome to youth ministry. So yeah. Anyway, and Kylie Brown and Kylie Christensen, thank you for taking the time to put together the video. You guys do such a great job on that. So anyway, I got it. So you want to hear a sermon? (laughs) I got about 20 minutes, 25 minutes to pack in what God laid on my heart. Here's why I want to talk about what I'm talking about this morning. As we wrapped up that trip, I got everybody together. I love nagging students, by the way, and you guys get the opportunity to experience that this morning. I got everyone together when we were done on Friday morning before we left the site. And I told them, I said, this is a mountaintop experience. We've had those in our lives and we need those in our lives. And I think from adult perspectives, sometimes we don't get those. And that's why if you feel like you're stale and you don't, you're like, I don't feel like I'm growing and find some way that you can have a mountaintop experience with the Lord because those are so critical for us, but we don't live there. That's what I told the students on that Friday morning. I got them all in a circle and I told them I said this has been such an amazing week and I'm so glad we had the opportunity to do this. But this is not where we live. We don't live on mountaintops. We live in the valley. We live down in the trees sometimes where we don't even hardly see the sun because that's a Christian life in a fallen world. Sometimes it's hard. And I told him, I said, as we go home and this mountaintop experience as it sloughs off of you and you get back to the reality. I had one student tell me that reality takes about an hour after you get home and you're right back into the mess you were before you left because life hits you. I'm often struck when Jesus is on the mountaintop with the three disciples and in that transfiguration moment and they come down, the book of Mark says the first thing they ran into was the demon-possessed boy, the one with epilepsy. So we're going to live in that valley, but I told these students... As that experience sloughs away, I want you to remember this forever. The moments that you have with the Lord matter the most when you're on this trip. The commitment you make, the growth you experience, that's where the focus comes into. And as I get into what I'm going to talk about this morning, I spoke about we went through the book of Galatians. And I want to talk about chapter one of Galatians. So if you have your Bible, turn to chapter one of the book of Galatians, because this book that I'll talk about in a second, I really believe, can you imagine the Apostle Paul showing up at your church and sharing the gospel with you? Talk about a mountaintop experience. To me, that would be amazing. The Apostle Paul rolls in, shares the gospel of Jesus Christ that he received directly from the Lord that we'll talk about this morning. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? And you'd be like, I'm going to charge hell with a water pistol. I'm in. There's no way I'm ever falling away. Nothing's ever going to get me. I'm in. I'm a Christian. And then Paul leaves. And a couple months later, life begins to happen. And you start watching the news, if you will. And you hear about these other things, or you hear other messages from other churches about, well, Jesus is really good, but he's not quite enough. You need Jesus and a little something else to be saved and have eternal life. That's what's happening in this scripture that we're about ready to read this morning. The apostle Paul's come into the area, the region of Galatia, and he's talked to all these different churches right around 49 AD. This is before the Jerusalem council, but the readers, the Galatian churches, if you will, are facing a serious problem. The Judaizers came in and started telling them false gospels. And in today's world, I really want to dig into this and I really want us to understand everybody in this room for the most part is going to know what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And we'll talk about that. But what I want to make sure that you're cemented in, that you're concreted in, is that you don't listen to any other gospels. There's no other false gospel that's going to invade your Christian experience like the Judaizers did with the Galatian churches. So when you see this, the, Galatian, the Gentiles in the Galatian churches... They were mostly Gentiles. They eagerly accepted the, the gospel of Jesus that Paul was teaching that he had brought to them. This letter is basically, uh, Martin Luther calls this letter, it's like his wife. Martin Luther loved the book of Galatian because it was something that he was wed to. He loved it as though he loved his wife. This was a book that Martin Luther was totally sold out on. This has a lot to do with our Christian liberty. But I'm going to say this once, and I'm going to say it again later on. Just because we have freedom in Christ doesn't mean that we take advantage of it. It doesn't mean that we live in such a way that doesn't bring God glory. Fundamentally, this, this letter is on the basis of our relationship with God. And this is, it's this, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and nothing else. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how we experience eternal life. That's how we become new creations in Christ. That's how we're saved. So as we read this, I want to give you an idea of what Paul's looking at doing. He's going to go back and he's going to write a letter back to these churches that have started to add to the gospel that Paul taught them. So if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to read just a little bit of scripture. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. It says, Paul, an apostle sent from man, not sent from man, not sent from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with him to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from our God, our father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of God, the father and to whom him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Paul goes on in verse 6 to say, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live by the grace of Christ and are now turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion or troubling you, other translations say, and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if an angel of heaven should preach a gospel other than the gospel I preached to you, let them be under God's curse. And we have already said, and now I say again, if anybody is preaching a gospel that is other than the gospel you accepted, let them be under God's curse. And am I now trying to find the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant, or some translations I like better say bondservant of Christ. Verse 11, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught to it, taught, or did they taught, teach it to me. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Fast and furious this morning. I want to break this scripture down just a little bit and give you guys some stuff to think about. Paul is astonished. This would be like our youth group turning to another gospel. You think I'm going to put up with that? This is Paul's angry letter. He is absolutely passionate about getting across to the Christians in Galatia. You're missing the mark. Don't you dare go with another gospel. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But in the first part of this, you see Paul defending his apostleship. In verses 1 through 4, he had to defend his apostleship. He says, Paul, an apostle sent not from man nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ um, and God, the father who raised him from the dead and to all the brothers and sisters with me. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God and God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue or deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of God the Father, to whom glory be to him forever and ever. Paul's apostleship was being defended here because people in this region were saying that Paul had no authority. That would be like standing up here, our, our church going, Pastor Dan really doesn't have any authority. To speak to us the way he does on a Sunday morning, to teach us the things he does on a Sunday morning. Paul's apostleship did not come from man. When do we know? How do we know that? Acts chapter 9 teaches us that he had a collision with Christ on the road to Damascus. Many of us know that story. When he had that encounter with Jesus, it changed him forever. And that's when he became a Christian and a follower of the Lord. And that's when the Lord told him, all the things you will suffer for my namesake, I'm going to use you to go tell the Gentiles about the gospel that I'm going to teach you. That's what that was all about. But people were attacking him. The one thing that struck me in this, was the, in, in this scripture was this. Those personal attacks happen today, don't they? We see them all over the place in the news. When we find someone who's being canceled, when you can't attack the message that the person's carrying, what people do is they turn to personal attacks on the person themselves. And that's what they were doing with Paul. They were attacking his message, and they were attacking him personally, trying to get the Galatian churches to think, well, does Paul really have that authority? Is he really who he says he is? See, we start to question these things. Well, I I know, I love that person, and they seem like they're very nice people, but they got a different idea of what Jesus says. Is that really wrong? Paul's defending his authority and his message at the same time. It's not that he wanted them to go, Paul, you're the boss. Paul was doing this because it was distorting the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's why he was doing this, because Paul wanted them to learn about the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the heart of the gospel of Christ is this, Christ died for your sins. Jesus Christ gave himself for your sin. And when we accept that, we have that substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ where he steps in and he takes the wrath of God that is meant for me because I'm a sinner. Jesus says, When I accept that truth, call on him as my Lord and Savior, by the blood of Jesus Christ, he takes my place. That's the gospel. But we have to accept that truth. But when we do, God becomes our, Jesus becomes our substitute for the wrath of God that is meant for me. We deserve hell. But when we call upon the name of the Lord, the Lord steps in with his grace and his mercy and he erases that from our lives and he takes that upon himself. That's the gospel. The second thing you see is Christ died according to the will of the Father. How do we know that? The will of the Father is this, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God the Father and God the Son are in concert with each other. There's no disagreement. God sent his son. His son decided he would take upon the Father's will and become the substitute for our sin. When we call upon the name of the Lord. Christ gave himself to deliver us. From what? From hell, number one. From eternal damnation and eternal separation from God the Father. But he came to deliver us from this present evil age. That's present tense. The day we live in today is a present evil age. Is it not? Do we not see that every day when we live this life? We watch the news and we walk through life. This is a present evil age that Jesus delivers me from. I live in it, but I'm outside of it. I'm in the world, but not of the world. And the other thing you see in this too is he delivers me from the power of the devil. When I say yes to Jesus Christ, I have the Holy Spirit of God that comes dwells in my heart. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in my heart. He delivers me from the power of Satan. I no longer have to live in that dominion. I am in a new kingdom, and it's with Jesus Christ and him alone. That's why Paul was so fired up, because that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not the gospel and something else. And that's what was making Paul so crazy. John 17. The priestly prayer. John 17.15 says this. Jesus prays this for his disciples. And for us. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. But that you would protect them from the evil one in the world. You have supernatural protection from the enemy. You don't have to cooperate with him. You don't have to play his games. You don't have to sin. You don't have to fall into temptation. We're delivered from that. The second thing that we see is this. That's the first thing. That's the heart of the gospel. The second thing is the one true gospel. The exclusivity of the gospel is exclusive, but all inclusive as well, because it's exclusive, and there's one way to get to heaven. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, but everyone's welcome Every single person is welcome to that. Paul says, I am astonished that you've so quickly deserted the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion or giving you trouble and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if an angel from heaven should preach another gospel that I've preached to you, let him be under God's curse. As we have said, and I say now to you if anybody preaches to you any other gospel than what you accepted, let them be accursed. I'm going to speak for Pastor Dan and Pastor Tanner for a second. You have no idea the burden it is to try every week to carry a message to junior high, high school, and adults that is correct and accurate according to Scripture, according to the doctrine that we've been taught. You think I want to come in here this morning and do something that's outside of what Paul taught? You're nuts. You're not worth it. I'll be very honest with you. There's not My wife's not worth it. None of you are worth me preaching a different gospel to tickle your ears on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. You're not worth it because it'll land me in hell under God's curse. And you see how personal this is. The nature of this personal touch that Paul gives here. These people aren't just turning from a gospel. They're turning from the one who called them to the gospel that they learned and they accepted. They're turning away from Christ. When we do things like this and we start to fall into patterns in the world of maybe questioning and thinking, well, maybe Jesus isn't the only way. Maybe Muslims have got it right or Mormons have got it right. Maybe some of the mix, I can put all that into a stew and I'll be okay. No, you won't. You won't be okay because when you do that, you turn away from Jesus. You're turning away from the one who died on the cross for you to add something else to it. You can't do that. That's why Paul takes this so personal because the Judaizers had come in and they told the Galatians, pat them on the head, listen, what Paul said, that's great. Glad you believe in Jesus. Perfect. But I'm here to tell you that that's not enough. You need to be circumcised and you need to follow the, the law of Moses If you're really going to be right with God, if you're really going to be justified by grace, that's great that you believe in Jesus. That's amazing. But you need something else. You need circumcision and you need the law of Moses, and then you'll be good to go. No. And that's what made Paul so crazy because remember, before Paul had the experience on the road to Damascus, he was a Pharisee, he knew the law. He followed circumcision and all the laws of Moses, and he was trapped within that, within that part of the scripture. That's just a precursor. The law was a precursor pointing to the one who would fulfill the law, that being Jesus Christ. And what Paul realized when Christ came and he learned from Christ, that's the old, now we have the new, and we can follow Christ, and we are justified and saved by faith and grace in Jesus Christ. It's no longer about our works because here's what, the, here's what the Israelites learned. They couldn't fulfill the law. The law was there to show them you can't live this way. You're not good enough to fulfill that law. You need someone to step in and take your place, that being Jesus Christ. The law in itself is still good. Paul says, before I had the law, I knew not sin. But the law showed Paul covetousness, sin raised up in his heart, and he realized he needed to be saved. The law is there to show you, to reveal to you, this is how you're to live, but you can't live that way. You need God's grace to fulfill all these things. You need God's grace to live this life of Christianity, to follow God and to be that way. That's what the Judaizers were teaching him though. And Paul knew better. He'd lived that life. Before I gave my life to Christ for 10 years, 10 years before Christ, I tried to be a good guy. And I mean, I tried. I tried. I hated who I was. I didn't want to be that way. And I did my dead level best to be a better man. I'd get right there. I'd get right up to the edge and I'd blow it. I knew what to do. I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know the law, but I knew in here. Why did I know in here? Because I was hiding it from everybody the way I was living. And I'd get right up to it. You ever been there? Man, I'm trying, Dan. I'm trying to do it right. And I'd get right up to it and I'd blow it every single time. But once I gave my life to Christ and became a new creation, then I started living by the one who gave me the grace to fulfill what he laid on my heart to begin with. You can't do it on your own. You just can't. It is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't just, grace doesn't just provide salvation. Grace also gives me a foundation to live a Christian life. It gives me the strength to live victoriously in Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. It gives me the grace to suffer well, as Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter nine and ten. To suffer well to the glory of God. When I go through things, I'm gonna face trials of many kinds, but I want to do it to God's glory. Grace doesn't just save us, grace enables us to live out the Christian, the Christian life. So you've got to understand that there's more to grace than just second. Our Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9 where we're saved by grace, not by works that no man shall boast. Because it says in verse 10 in that scripture that it also goes on to say that we have been, we are God's handiwork and we are created to do good works. So grace enables me to live out this Christian life as well. It gives me the strength to do that. I'm going to go through a couple quick things and I'll move on to the last, the last two points. The essence of the gospel, the true gospel that Paul's taught to the Galatian church, that our pastor teaches us, and that the Bible reveals to us is this. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 4. If you ever wonder what the true gospel is, it's this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, whether you received it and, 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 and which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you firmly hold to the word I preach to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. For what I have received I passed on to you as first importance. This is the most important thing you can know in life and receive in life, Paul says, that Christ died for your sins according to Scripture and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to Scripture. Do you believe that? Can you honestly say you've received the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning? Have you received that simple truth that the gospel provides? Because it does two things. The true gospel does two things. It exalts the person of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter two shows that to us perfectly. It exalts the person of Christ and it exhibits the price that's been paid for your redemption. When we think about the extent that God went to to redeem me back into relationship with him, we should never be the same. When we accept that truth to see what God has extended to us that we may be accepted back into a relationship with him It should affect us for the rest of our lives We should never be the same out of that experience We should never get over being saved by the blood of jesus christ Because when we see that And you see that all over scripture and and first corinthians I think chapter six talks about you're not your own when you're a christian. You're not your own get over yourself You're not your own anymore You don't live by your own desires and how you want to do things. You live by the desire that Christ has planted in your heart. You're not your own. It says some some translations will say you have been bought with a high price. If you believe the gospel, if you've received the gospel, you don't belong to you anymore. You belong to Jesus. And therefore, you should walk with Jesus. You should follow Jesus. You should do all that you do in word and deed to his glory. The false gospel, the perverted gospel, does this. It exalts man, exchanges works, and enslaves men back to the law. That's the gospel of trying hard. I, I breaks my heart when I hear somebody come into my office, or Pastor Dan's or Tanner's is the same way. And I hear somebody say, Dan, I just got to try harder. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to, you wait, you wait and see. It's, I'm going to try harder. That's Jesus and something. That's exalting you, not the Lord. It's not about trying harder, folks. It's about surrendering more. Do we do things? Yes. But it's not out of my own strength that I do it. It's not out of my own experience that I do it. I've got work to do in a Christ, in a relationship with Jesus. Absolutely. But I, I want to make sure that I'm living to his glory, not to work to earn anything, but to live for his glory, because it's all been done. I live my life because of what's been done. ...on the cross. Therefore, I live and I do according to what's been done. I don't do to earn something to get there. I do because of what's been done. And that that work, it, how Jesus say it? It is finished. The work's been done. And once we accept it, we're going on from there. So the, the false, perverted gospel shows you that it exalts man, it exchanges works for grace, and it enslaves men back to the law. Anytime we add anything to grace... We're actually subtracting from grace if I add something to the grace of God it subtracts it it makes it illegitimate that's where Paul says it's not another gospel because the gospel means what's the word gospel mean good news the gospel means good news so if I'm adding to something that Jesus taught Paul it's all about the grace of God and I add in my works and my trying and my effort I'm adding to something right so I'm actually subtracting away from the gospel of Jesus Christ so that's what it does. And when you talk about perverting this thing, and it perverts the gospel because it's not a real gospel because the word gospel means good news, and it's not good news if it's up to me because I've tried that. And it doesn't work. So it can't be good news. The other thing it says there, that, that idea of being accursed. When he says that even an angel, even if an angel brings this to you guys, may they be under God's curse. That's anathema. That means destined for destruction that means eternals god is ba- paul is basically saying even if an angel brings another gospel other than the one i preached to you may they go straight to hell and damnation that's what that literally means anathema is a very strong word and it makes me in fear and trembling that i would do this the wrong way scares me to death to think about that but that's what the word means and even an angel I had a fit about this in the office earlier this week. Who, what angel brought the tablets to Joseph Smith in Mormonism? Moroni. He brings the golden tablets to Joseph Smith and he says, here, here's how to translate this. Here's how to make this work. And we all know that religion is another gospel. In today's world, another gospel looks like this. They're not adding to something. They're taking away. You can be a Christian, don't worry about the rest of it, just pray the, pray the prayer, you're good to go, you've been dipped, you're, you're good. You don't have to change the way you live, you don't have to follow God. It's not about any of that. It's just about you just praying the prayer. And then you're good to go, you're stamped forever, you're on your way. That's taking away from, that's another gospel because Jesus says, follow me and obey me. You are my disciple if you do what I command. So we gotta be careful when we look at today's world the gospels are different, and I want to make sure that our church follows the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you're saved by the blood of Jesus. You accept that Jesus died on the cross, was buried in a grave, and God raised him from the dead, and that same Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead lives in your heart today. Those are the important things of the gospel, I believe, that we can take away from this morning, and if someone else brings another gospel, you don't listen to it, because it's not good news. Where's Paul's love in all this? How do you love people, right? Right? Paul's letting him have it. Why? Because he knows the other gospel is false, and it won't lead to eternal life. And if it doesn't lead to eternal life, it leads to eternal separation from God the Father in heaven, and Paul knows that. That's where Paul's love is at. That's when you have a pastor who stands up here and he says, you've got to follow the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's because I love you, and I don't want to see you be lost. I don't want to see you walk in a way that doesn't honor God and follow the gospel, not only Believe the gospel, but live out the gospel as well. That's why we are the way we are in this church when we're teaching the Bible and we're so desperately begging God for us to get it right. And then you guys go home and you be like the Bereans. Today, I challenge you, go home and read the book of Galatians. The last two points of this, and then I'm gonna be done and I'm gonna invite the band up. The gospel you are living for. Paul says, am I now living for man? Am I living to please man or am I living to please God? That's where you see Paul's love. It says, love the Lord your God, Then love your neighbor. And to love the Lord your God, you've got to love God's truth. And you've got to be willing to stand up for God's truth. We talked a lot about this on the trip with the high school students about this gender neutrality thing. I watched the news this morning, and they're actually deciding whether you're going to be charged with a crime if you don't meet someone, if you misgender someone. That's insane. In the beginning, God created the male and female, He created them. That hasn't changed. That's a different gospel. That's a different Bible. That's a different following. But do I want to do that out of hate for the other person? Absolutely not. I love that person. But I can't go up. I, I watched a message and I shared it with a few people here in the church and a lot of the high school students. I watched a message one day and this guy said it right. And I like how he said it. He says, Don't go up and affirm the lie with someone by gendering them correctly as, as they would have themselves. I am a man. If I tell you I'm a woman, I'm not a woman. I'm a man, and to come up and tell me I'm a woman is affirming a lie that that person is living in. They're being deceived, and darkness is being pulled over their eyes, and they're going to be lost forever if we don't stand like Paul did on the firm foundation of the Word of God and share it with love in our hearts, but be honest and be truthful with people. Are you going to be canceled? Are you going to be hated? Absolutely. But you go to heaven, and you'll honor God in the process. And like Paul says, you'll save others along the way. Paul says, I do everything and I do in word and deed. To everything I eat, everything I drink, I do it to the glory of God. Everything I do. Why? That some might be saved. We've got to be like Paul, and we've got to be willing to stand up, you guys. But we stand firm on the rock that is Jesus Christ. And we stand firm in his word because we read it, we know it, we believe it, we received it. And when we talk to someone who's lost, we tell them, we say, you need to be a new creation in Christ. You need to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what matters the most. It doesn't matter popularity. It doesn't matter whether people like me or not. It matters whether I'm honoring God in the way I'm living, the message I'm sharing, and how I'm treating other people and I want to do it in love. I don't want to hate anybody. I don't want to come at them nasty and evil. I want to come at them exactly like I used to be. I was once blind, but now I can see. Does that make sense? My sin may be different than their sin, but that same sin would have kept me out of heaven if I had not turned to the gospel of Jesus Christ and asked him to save me and, and forgive me and bless me. If I can have the band come up on stage, I hope some of this made sense. I'd love to be able to take more time, but I can't this morning, but I do want to close with the scripture. If you have your Bibles open to the book of Galatians still, open it to chapter 6, the book of Galatians chapter 6, because I want to close with Paul's words in this, in this section as well. And then I've got a question for you, and then we're going to sing a song, and we'll be done. Galatians chapter 6, verse, t- verse 15 summarizes it this way, Paul does. <clears throat> Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. Because see, Paul received this message from Jesus himself. So if you don't like the message this morning, maybe I presented it in a way that irritated you. I'm sorry if I did, forgive me. But this message comes from the Lord himself. And if you reject this message and you add something to it or take something away from it, you're rejecting Christ. That's the personal part of what Paul was talking about. Paul says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation in Christ. Christ. My question for you this morning is this, are you a new creation in Christ? Have you accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ, the simple gospel that says he came because he loves you and he's our substitute. And when we accept that, that death on the cross, that shed blood is where I find the forgiveness of sin. And our Savior has been buried in the grave, but God raised him from from the grave three days later, he raised him from the dead. And that same power that raised him from the grave lives in you when you're a Christian. Are you a new creation this morning? If you are, when we stand and sing, praise him, thank him. Altars open this morning for those who want to praise him because they're saved by the blood of Jesus. Just to come and thank him. The altar's also open. If you're in here this morning and you've not done that, listen to me. You don't know what tomorrow brings. Today is the day of salvation. You draw near to the Lord while he is near. And you give your life to Christ today based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then you're a new creation. Then you get up. You walk within the Lord's desires, and you follow Jesus for the rest of your life, and you will live a life that you'll never even imagine. I love what Pastor Dan says. Trying to explain to someone who's not been saved by the blood of Jesus is trying to explain what a sunset looks to a blind man, what a sunset would look like to a blind man. You don't know what you don't know until you're here. If you've not done that, this morning is the time you make that decision. So let's stand, let's praise him, and we'll have the band lead us in a song, and then we'll close in prayer.